UNESCO Green Citizens, Citizens in Action for the Planet. A podcast by Aurélie Luneau and Thomas Duterte. Miyawaki Forest School. With our green citizen Grey Coupland and expert Miriam Boomran. Good. All right, and don't forget to grab a stick. Good job. Okay, which plant would you like? Um, this plant, please. Lovely. This one's called Melaleuca. This one has lovely flowers in the springtime. We're in Padbury, a suburb of Perth in southwestern Australia, bordering the Indian Ocean. Grey Coupland holds a PhD in ecology. Make sure you have your plant on your hand. This one has lovely yellow flowers in the springtime. Would you like this one? That's okay. Let's get this one. This one's called Herbertia. And it goes into a beautiful bush, this one. What were your childhood dreams, Grey Coupland? My dream was always to be like uh, David Attenborough. He was my hero. I grew up watching his, uh, his documentaries and always aspired to be um, a marine ecologist. And when did you get your idea for establishing the Miyawaki Forest Project in the local city schools? Well, it was all the way back in 2020. I saw a World Economic Forum short and it was all about Miyawaki forests. And I thought, what a fantastic idea to bring uh, forests into cities. And by doing that, you bring biodiversity back into our cities and help reconnect people with nature. I believe this method was thought up by a Japanese man named Akira Miyawaki? A Japanese botanist uh, called Professor Akira Miyawaki. So back in the 1970s, he noted that uh, the forests across Japan were, were suffering. Uh, their biodiversity was declining. So he noticed that around the temples and shrines across Japan, that there were remnant pockets of Miyawaki forest or forests. And he sought to uh, use these forests as a template and then from this, he developed the Miyawaki method and planted Miyawaki forests uh, across Japan. And then he spread these across Southeast Asia. And then obviously it caught on around the world. So once I've watched that uh, amazing uh, short on uh, World Economic Forum on, in, on uh, Facebook, I thought, well, what a brilliant way of bringing nature back into our cities. And what better way to bring it in than into schools where children could re-engage with nature and they could uh, get hands on uh, environmental action. They could actually have tangible outcomes. So uh, I took it to a local school and the new principal was very supportive. And she said, yes, let's plant a forest together. So we did that. Um, the children developed compost from their food waste and we use this food waste compost to replenish the soil prior to plant forest and then once we'd done that we obviously planted our Miyawaki forest and ever since then we've watched it grow and then this has spread out to multiple schools now and so we've had uh, 
a few a couple of thousand children engaged in this uh, outreach program planting their own forests and and growing with them and monitoring them over time which plant species do you use for building these mini forests and helping them thrive and survive in the long term. So we plant a huge range of uh, different plant species, but they're all locally native. And you have to actually go out and conduct a survey, a botanical survey of local remnant forest or remnant bushland in order to ensure that you're planting the species that would have been growing on the site prior to the site being cleared for urbanization. So each forest that I plant has a different suite of uh, locally native species because um, we have such huge flora diversity in the southwest of Australia that the species composition can change within a few kilometers. The different species makeup means that the different forests are all unique. And we have about 30 different plant species in each forest. So there's huge botanical uh, diversity in each forest, which is really important for bringing biodiversity back into our cities. So um, by bringing these forests into schools, the children not only engage in environmental action, but because we monitor the forests over time, uh, we use proper scientific methods. They monitor things such as the temperature regime in the forest, uh, plant survival, plant growth, uh, the animals that come in to use the forest. They talk the techniques, the scientific techniques to monitor these. And every month we go out with the children to help them monitor their forest and then they record the data so they can see how their forest is changing over time. And I think the fact that they can see this is very inspiring for them, overwhelmed by the enormity of the climate crisis and that they can't do anything. So these forests engage in local environmental action that you can help to mitigate some of the negative effects that humans have had. And also helps to mitigate things like the urban heat sink because we know that our cities are often getting hotter with the effects of climate change. So by planting these small pockets of forest, we can help to make our cities more livable. Well, we've got so many different animals coming in to utilize the forest now. We have uh, predatory insects, uh, herbivorous insects, birds, lots of soil life. And of course, it's not only the biodiversity that's uh, it being increased through these forests, it's also the engagement of the children. Uh, some of them have never planted a plant before, have never played in the dirt before. And for them to engage in nature, uh, I think it's really important because we need to inspire the next generation of eco-warriors and the next generation of scientists because they are going to be the custodians of the world. And we need to make sure that they're invested in nature because you can't fight for something unless you care for something. And what type of animals adopt these miniature forests as their habitat? Uh, lots of insects, uh, lots of other invertebrates like worms and uh, beetles. 
a huge variety of different birds. And really excitingly, we think that a quenda is coming into the forest. They're very cute, bandicoot. The forests that I'm planting are typically between 100 meters squared and 200 meters squared. There is one forest in the community and one with the Department of Education uh, for Western Australia. The remaining five and the new four forests that are going to be planted are all within the school. But that means uh, that people can actually come into the school where the school is open, so members of the community, so they can come and enjoy the forest too. So part of the uh, Miyawaki Forest Program is the children recycle their food waste from their lunch. Uh, that goes into creating compost. But we also go out into the community to local businesses like local coffee shops or supermarkets. We gather the food waste from there like coffee grounds or fruit and veg scraps. And we bring that back to the school to feed the compost pile that will ultimately feed the soil for the forest. So all that waste is diverted from landfill and all the um, carbon emissions associated with that are now uh, reduced because we're obviously reusing that waste and it's not undergoing a methane. So what went into designing and choosing the plant species that would be used in these mini forests to ensure that they're protected from drought and megafires, for example, in the future? A lot of the species are moving southwards in terms of their range, so their, their range is retracting. So uh, what we have to be mindful of is some of the plants in the forest uh, may not be surviving you know, in the future because of climate change. So uh, we've noticed that we had a, a really extreme heat planting. They create uh, a microclimate, which will hopefully protect them uh, with more extreme weather events. Can these mini forests have an impact on climate change by being reproduced in various cities? And do you think that forest is the correct term for this model? Yes, one definition of the word forest used by the food and agriculture organization refers to density. In the case of Australia's Maiwaki method, these mini forests are purposefully very dense. Marianne Boumran is Chief of Ecology and Biodiversity for UNESCO. I think and I hope that over the next few years we will completely reconsider how we inhabit Earth, including in our cities. If we can succeed in changing our behavior, our mentality and the way we live in cities where populations are at their most dense, if we can refrain from taking vacations in distant locations just so we can tell ourselves 
themselves how important biodiversity is and instead recognize how important it is right on our doorstep where we live and work and where our children go to school. And if we can promote urban forests together and encourage more sustainable habitats, I believe we will have accomplished our goal because the ecological challenges are most acute in our cities and capitals. Marianne Boumran, what do you personally think that these mini forests have to offer? I think they offer a number of advantages and remind us of various issues. First, it's important to remember that we are human beings living in urban contexts where nature is a remote concept. We feel the need to visit parks or open spaces in order to feel the presence of nature. We need to recognize the necessity to have green islands within a city environment. These locations are important as they allow us to reconnect with nature. They are also a key way of developing initiatives, including architectural ones, to promote inner city plant life on walls or on rooftops. Such initiatives are burgeoning in the context of climate change because people recognize that more tree species means more shade. The presence of trees is also efficient in absorbing carbon and rain, thereby reducing city temperatures substantially by even 10 or 20 degrees. It's more and more widely known that the more green areas or systems we have in our cities, be they urban forests or yards, rooftop gardens, and so on, the better the climate conditions are. Not to mention the increased benefits of pollination, cooling, and many other advantages that plants have to offer. More and more towns and capital cities are adopting community gardens to grow produce, either on rooftops or down on the ground, as well as many forests in their mists. Here at UNESCO, for example, we list cities as biosphere reserves, where nature and culture live together side by side instead of forming a dichotomy. For instance, in Dublin, France's Fontainebleau, and part of Vienna. You've been listening to UNESCO Green Citizens, a podcast by Aurélie Luneau, directed by Thomas Duterte and Marie-Laure Ciboulet. Produced by Studio Radio France in conjunction with UNESCO and Cloran Botanical Foundation. Voiced by Karine Dogliani and Hester Wilcox. Translation, Nikki Becker. Sound recording, Amandine Frichou, Melody Esman and Etienne Collin. Mix, Pierrick Charles.